Hi, I'm Kathleen McCabe, and I am going to be talking to you about an interesting complex cataract case. In this case, it's a dense cataract with the need for iridodialysis repair. And I'm a refractive cataract surgeon. I'm on the west coast of Florida, and I'm happy to share this with you today. And if you look here, you'll see my financial disclosures. So this patient actually had an injury to his eye, his right eye, 50 years ago. So hadn't had anything done about it, really felt like his right eye looked kind of funny ever since that injury. So it happened when he was a teenager. Um, and he now has had a one year history of decreasing vision in his right eye. So as a teenager, he had a BB injury to that eye. So, you know, you can shoot your eye out. Um, so, but on presentation, his best corrected vision was 2150 in the right eye and 2030 in the left eye. And you can see he is a fairly high hyperope and has some significant astigmatism. His pressure was 18 and 13. And on examination, there's an iridodialysis and zonular dialysis for about four clock hours in the right eye with posterior synechia. He has a cataract, nuclear sclerotic cataract with cortical change, worse in the right eye than the left eye, and normal cup to disc ratio with a trace epiretinal membrane on his right eye. So what do you want to do during these examinations for traumatic iridodialysis? Well, it's really important to look with gonioscopy. Seems really obvious what the injury is when you see something like this, but you want to be able to look into that area where the zonular, where the iridodialysis is in order to see if there's a concomitant zonular dialysis that may change your, your management strategy. And gonioscopy can help you see in that area. Look for missing zonules, a tilted lens, a scalp margin of the capsular bag. An OCT of the macula and optic nerve are also important. And if you do see optic nerve damage, which could easily happen with a traumatic optic neuropathy, it's helpful to have a Humphrey visual field unless the cataract is so bad it uh, prohibits an accurate field. A dilated fundus exam can show whether or not there was macular or peripheral retinal pathology, including any evidence of a tear or a hole. So what are the options for repairing this? Well, I'm gonna tell you first, this patient said he didn't really care about repairing them. In fact, at first he said, don't repair it. And uh, I had to really talk him into it. He said he'd had it there for a long time. He didn't really care if his eye looked funny on that side. Um, but then after some discussion of what the different methods might be for doing that, uh, he did want to have the iris repaired and he really made that decision one day prior to his surgery. But there are many different ways of doing it. You can use 10 nylon suture and just a double-armed technique where you also suture with a bit of a hangback that's really true for all of these techniques. You want to leave a space between the iris and the scleral wall or the trabecular meshwork so that you're not covering over Schelm's canal and trabecular meshwork. You could, and I've seen this reported, uh, allow for focal incarceration of the iris to the sclera. That's the upper right image here. Um, really probably not uh, the method of choice because you could create an inadvertent bleb in that area or if it's exposed, that would be a potential area for endophthalmitis. Trocar-assisted polypropylene repair is another method of fixating either with a large gauge or a small gauge polypropylene suture. 
I really like flanged 6-O-polypropylene as an option as well. That had not been developed at the time I saw this patient. Um, and then there are not list techniques that have been created for iris repair with smaller gauge 10-O-polypropylene or nylon, either creating a pathway through sclera with no knot at the end, or even just a single knot and a sewing machine uh, method, as you can see in the bottom right uh, image. And there's another cobbler's technique that's, uh, that's also imaged here as well. So there was a study that was published recently. Uh, this was actually published in 2018, looking at the efficacy and complications with either a sewing machine technique using a 26 gauge needle and 10O polypropylene or nylon versus the double arm needle with 10O polypropylene. Uh, there were 32 patients in the sewing machine arm and 35 in the double-armed needle. Uh, they looked at pupil shape, best corrected vision, IOP, endothelial cell count, and complications, and found no difference between the two groups. Both were safe, effective, and improved cosmesis. So the bottom line with that was do what you're comfortable with. So here's the sewing machine technique. You preload a needle with 10 nylon, and then that is placed through the peripheral iris, into either a scleral groove, which is shown here, or through the, the sclera in the area of the uh, scleral spur. And that is externalized and loops are pulled out. Those individual loops can then later be cut and tied together. So it's a way of using a continuous process with the same thread uh, to more rapidly reapproximate the iris. And this is a double arm technique where you just place one arm of 10 polypropylene or nylon through the peripheral iris and through sclera, and then the other arm and tie those two together once they're externalized. Again, all of these techniques, you wanna be very careful to leave a little bit of space and not cover over the trabecular meshwork. I wanted to point out this as well. Putting a CTR in the bag with an IOL, a three-piece IOL in the sulcus and capturing the optic is another way of being very stable with zonular dialysis. So if there's zonular dialysis in these cases, this is an option to improve stability of the lens. Surgi the surgical plan for this patient was a retrobulbar block. The, anytime you're manipulating iris, it's going to be very uncomfortable for the patient. So you do want to be able to create a comfortable situation so you're not also fighting the patient and they're not needing additional sedation. Iris hooks can be used to keep the iris out of the way during the phaco emulsification. Slow motion phaco with low IOP or low bottle height, low aspiration and low vacuum is another important feature of how you're going to address these. I like to use 10 nylon for iridodialysis repair or like I mentioned, a 6-0 polypropylene that had not been developed at that time, so 10 nylon was the plan for this patient. A CTR or capsular tension segment, depending on what I found for zonulopathy in the area of the iridodialysis. And I was also had 23 gauge anterior vitrectomy available, should it be needed. Intracameral antibiotics, and another option for the immediate postoperative period for inflammation control is IV decadron. So this patient would receive IV decadron as well. You can see I've calculated for both an in-the-bag IOL 
with the acreos and also a three-piece IOL that can be placed in the sulcus or in the bag or in the sulcus with um, capsular capture as I outlined before. So this is our patient. And some of the features you immediately notice are a very large uh, iridodialysis and perhaps a zonular dialysis as well. It's a little hard to say, but in the area of the maximal density of the cataract, it appears that the margin is a bit flattened there. So I would be very suspicious that there's at least maybe one or two clock hours of absent zonules in that area. There's also a posterior synechia that you can see at the pupillary margin, and maybe a little bit of fibrosis at the pupillary margin as well. So the first thing we're going to do is make a pyridomy in the area of the iridodialysis, because I know I'm going to want to externalize those sutures through the sclera, and I'll need to make a knot in that area. I'm filling the anterior chamber with a dispersive viscoelastic, because I want to release the posterior synechia and also allow for safe entry into the anterior chamber for iris hooks. So these incisions are slightly more anterior so that I can put an iris hook and still have some room to place the suture for the repair of the iridodialysis. Dispersive viscoelastic is helpful for removing these posterior synechia, very gently elevating the iris in the areas of maximal touch there. And I'm carefully placing the iris hook at the pupillary margin. I, this has been 50 years of the, of the iris being in that configuration. So I want to be very gentle because it's likely that the iris is a bit atrophic. Placing these three iris hooks to move the iris away from any area of trouble and also expanding the pupil. As you can see, it was pretty small at the beginning of the case. So three additional iris hooks to create an adequate working space. I'm creating a nicely circular and central capsulotomy with the idea to keep this of the appropriate size that if optic capture is necessary, it's going to be able to be achieved. Again, very slow phaco, low flow settings, nothing moving quickly, less chance of the capsule bouncing forward and impacting my phaco tip and also less chance of encountering this iris, which again is likely to be very floppy in the area of the previous dialysis. Using liberal and frequent installation of a dispersive viscoelastic is also very helpful. It allows me to loosen up the nuclear material. I don't want to do a lot of rotation and put additional stress on the zonules. Just gently loosening up those segments as I carefully work through disassembly and removal of each piece of the nucleus. And you can see that I'm going to place my second instrument behind the tip of the FACO instrument so that we don't have or can lessen the chance of impacting the posterior capsule and causing a rupture. In these cases where there is a loose capsule, uh, we want to go as slow as possible, frequently reinflate with a dispersive viscoelastic, use low flow settings, and protect the posterior capsule with your second instrument as much as possible. When we get down to the last few pieces, this is where there's the greatest uh, possibility of a posterior capsular rupture. So very, very slowly depressing the phaco pedal, bringing forward the nuclear material while keeping that second instrument in case the capsule, as it does here even, jumps forward some so that there's less risk 
of impacting that. And here's a dispersive viscoelastic. I'm actually getting underneath the cortical material, trying to loosen that up some so that it's easier to remove, keeping that capsular bag as inflated as possible. With capsule hooks in, that becomes a little bit more difficult, but this is just iris hooks, so this should be fairly straightforward. I'm going to be very careful still, making sure to reinflate as needed, because it's very disappointing when you get to this point and have a complication. So I'm using a preloaded CTR, watching carefully. I'm injecting it toward the area of zonular instability and putting in that single piece hydrophilic acrylic lens that I planned in the beginning. Gently placing that within the capsular bag and not having to rotate it in there by using this compressibility of those closed looped haptics to allow them carefully to open fully within the capsular bag. Now I can spend a little bit of time drawing out those iris hooks and focusing on repair of the iridodialysis. Now I'm going to place a 26 gauge needle through the paracentesis and then through a paracentesis across the interior chamber. I'm just using that as a guide for the tip of the needle of a 10-0 polypropylene suture. This is a double arm suture technique. I'm engaging the peripheral edge of the iris and then using a forcep to guide that about a millimeter posterior to the limbus through the sclera, being really careful how I externalize that so that it puts the least amount of traction on this long-term injury, very friable and thin iris. This is the second half of the same polypropylene suture and I carefully place that through the paracentesis, the same paracentesis as that first pass, so that the loop can then be drawn into the interchamber and not be hung up by any corneal fragments or corneal fibers. Again, using that 26 gauge needle to guide the 10-0 polypropylene needle into the interchamber through a second paracentesis. This is going to be a second set of a double arm needle, externalizing it posterior to the limbus being careful about how the needle pathway is followed as I withdraw that from the interchamber chamber so that it doesn't bend and cause additional trauma to the iris. And I'll put the second half, this is the second needle of this second double-armed suture, placing these about two millimeters apart. And as I draw the loop into the interchamber, chamber, I wanna be sure that I leave a space between the angle and the edge of the iris so that we're not covering up angle structures and increasing the risk of an increased IOP postoperatively. I'm trimming that knot very small and tightly. This is that second set, also creating a knot. And then the important part is to make sure that you're rotating that knot into the sclera and that nothing is externalized. And these knots are pretty loose, you don't need any tension on it. It's really for cosmetic purposes. You're not trying to reapproximate tissue as we normally are. I'm gonna cover that area by creating, or by repairing the peritomy, and now I'm removing the viscoelastic from the anterior chamber, adding an antibiotic, checking the pressure, and you can see that this is going to have a much better cosmesis postoperatively. 
So here's our patient on post-operative day one. You can see that the iris still looks a little irregular on the area where that iridodialysis repair was. At the end of the surgery, the patient did have some myocol installed, and so you can see that the more um, atraumatized atrauma portion of the iris constricted very uniformly, and that did not occur in the area that had been previously um, traumatized. The patient was comfortable, they were using their post-operative drops, and their uncorrected distance visual acuity was already 20-40. The pressure was normal at 15, and they were using all of their antibiotics and, and anti-inflammatories properly. At one month, this is the appearance, the patient was thrilled with how their eye looked. It no longer looked weird. He was so happy that he had decided at the last minute to allow me to repair his iris. And he couldn't believe that he had considered not doing that. So you can see his uncorrected distance visual acuity had improved to 20-25. You can see what his manifest is here. Had a bit of astigmatism and some hyperopia in both eyes. We did not address the astigmatism at the time of his surgery and his pressure was normal. And then five years later, the patient came back to see me and this is the appearance of his eye. I totally forgot that this was the patient that had the iridodialysis until I looked at the patient with retroillumination and then I could see that there were areas of iris atrophy and that area where there was a little bit of a gap uh, making sure that the iris was not covering over the angle structures. So pearls for a traumatic cataract with iridodialysis, address the iris at the beginning of surgery, sequester it with iris hooks and viscoelastic so you don't cause additional trauma. You wanna check the intraoperative with intraoperative forceps to see if you can reposition it. Sometimes there's a lot of fibrosis with the iris, there's very little flexibility, and you simply cannot move it to its normal location, and it's just not possible to reapproximate it there. Use very gentle procedures. The iris is already often uh, atrophic and friable, and you don't want to cause additional damage. You, there are many different techniques to use. Practice these techniques ahead with a model eye. That's the best way. You don't really want to be trying something new on a traumatic case like this. Leave that small space between the edge of the iris and the angle structures so that you're not increasing the risk of glaucoma or an increased IOP postoperatively. So don't over tighten sutures, even though that's, that tends to be what we want to do when we see that we need to reapproximate tissues. And then address any decentered or abnormally shaped pupil at the time of the repair. You can use a vitrector to reshape the pupil margin and make it look more normal, and that's sometimes necessary, although it was not necessary in this case. Thank you so much.